Good morning, everybody. Man, it's great to be here. And once again, I want to say how thankful I am to have gotten the invitation to be with you all this weekend. So yes, I'll go ahead and, and uh, introduce my family here real quick. My wife, Charity, is here with me. We've been married for 11 years. And you may have already seen our kids, or if not, you might see them here very soon. Uh, we've got three kids. Jaden is seven, and he loves sports and anything with the ball, soccer, football, basketball. He's all about it. Uh, Judah is six, and he loves being outside and rolling around in the dirt and lizards, but especially frogs. And Juliet is four, and she loves pink and all things princesses. So we've got very different kids with very different interests, but uh, it's very good to be able to have them come out. We've gotten a chance to come out a little bit early. We went to New Orleans for a day, and then just last night got to kind of uh, visit around Baton Rouge, saw the old Capitol building, very beautiful building, saw the new Capitol building. We went over to Main Event. Man, that was a madhouse there, but that was very fun. Our kids enjoyed the arcade over there. So we've had a good time uh, together with family, and I'm glad that they're able to be here with us. And uh, really cool to be here at Open Door. This is the first time I've been to Baton Rouge before, and just getting to see the facility and the great things that are happening here, the daycare buildings, Christian school, how that's grown. This is a beautiful auditorium. Man, I just wish that you would have built your building, you know, like, I just wish you guys had a little bit better visibility, you know, like next time you build a building, maybe build it near a road with like a lot of cars that drive by, or maybe think about putting up like a big, you know, advertisement or billboard by the highway or something. I mean, other than that, it's a great location, I guess, but um, no, it's, it's, it's been great to be here. You know, I, Pastor Schaefer mentioned this. It, it is always a little bit difficult, a little bit awkward. Okay. I, let me, let me just kind of clear the air. If you happen to be visiting this morning, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, because I know what you're thinking. You're like, great, I showed up at church, and guess what they're talking about? They're talking about money. And here's, here's the thing, folks. When it comes to talking about finances and from a church perspective, and I, I talked about this a little bit in the, in the morning service, it's really important for us to preach the Bible and all of what the Bible says. There are some parts of the Bible and some topics that the Bible covers that are a little bit more difficult to delve into than others, and I think money would be one of those because of how it's so personal. But if the church does not step forward to say, here's what God's word says about money and wealth and finances, then what happens very often is people begin to either look to the world, look to their secular system for information about their finances, or what we'll start to see is people come in and, and start to take certain passages or certain verses and start to kind of twist their meaning and make the Bible seem like it's saying something that it's not. And Unfortunately, within the broad umbrella of what we would call Christianity, there are some inaccurate teachings on what the Bible teaches about money. Maybe you've heard of something called the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology. It's, it's this idea that you know, if you are a generous person and you have faith in God, if you give money, then God is automatically going to bless you financially. God is like some you cosmic ATM, that all you have to do is sow a seed of faith, and then that God's going to bless you with more money. And folks, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that we just give money so that we can get more back. But on the other extreme, there are, I think, some people that would teach or preach or think that if you're a real Christian, if you're truly right with God, then you actually won't have any money that you will be poor, and that if you did have money, if you did have wealth, that would be a sign that you're materialistic, that you're greedy. Folks, look at the Bible. Look at the people who served God and had a heart for God and were blessed and even penned many of the books in the Bible. We had very wealthy people, people like Job and people like Solomon and people like 
Abraham. Okay? God blessed them immensely, and they were very wealthy. But we also have people like John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself that were very poor. So here's the thing, folks. No matter where you're at today, no matter what you would consider yourself, whether you think you're rich or you're poor or you're middle class or however you would define yourself this morning, your net worth is not some kind of temperature reading for your godliness. How much money you do or don't have doesn't tell you how right with God you are. God has blessed some people more in, this, in ways of giving them, giving them a longer time span. Some people, God has gifted them with certain talents and certain abilities that he doesn't give to others. And God blesses some with more material wealth than he blesses others. We're sitting here in the richest country in the world, in the history of the world. We have brothers and sisters that are meeting today in places like Asia and places like Africa, places like South America that have next to nothing. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love them or God hasn't uh, uh, blessed them more than he has blessed us in, in, in the sense of his love. But God gives to some more resources, but with those resources come responsibility and come an obligation to say, man, we have been so blessed and God has, has given us so much, but we need to use it wisely and for his glory. And so this morning, I want to preach to you just for a few minutes on this topic, the greatest investment opportunity of 2023, the greatest investment opportunity of 2023. Have you ever made a good investment before? I was in uh, Washington State not long ago. I talked to a lady there. She said, years ago, she had somebody come to her and say, hey, listen, you need to invest in this company. It just went public not long ago. They just put their stock out to be publicly available for purchase. It's kind of a local company in this, you know, Washington, Seattle area, but I think it has a lot of potential and you'd be really wise to, to buy some of their stock right now. And she, she took $5,000 and bought stock in this company. And that was a very smart investment because that company happened to be Starbucks coffee. And way back in the day, early on, when it had just gone public, she bought $5,000. I don't even know what that turned into, but I'm sure it was a lot more than $5,000. I want to show you a picture here this morning of three gentlemen. Now, if you came to the seminar yesterday, you already know where I'm going with this, but don't give it away. We've got three guys here. Uh, the guy in the middle is a guy that probably not any of you would recognize. Now, you may recognize the guys on the side, but the guy in the middle, his name is Ron Wayne. Back in 1976, him and his two buddies decided, we're going to start a company. But Ron was the one that ha actually had money. The other two guys had the brains. <laughs> Ron had the money. So he said, okay, I'm going to help kind of fund this, get this off the ground. And he took a 10% ownership stake in their new company. But 12 days later he decided to get out of the new company that he had just helped to found because he thought, you know what? I'm really concerned that if this company goes south, all the creditors are going to come after me because I'm the only one that has any kind of assets and these other two guys don't. And I'm really worried about, you know, my, my other investments and my other money. So he sold his 10% stake in Apple computers for $800. Now, 10%, of Apple computers today would be over $250 billion. So Ron Wayne, in 1976, sold 10% of Apple computers for $800. Now, if he could do that all over again, I'm sure that he would do it differently. In retrospect, it's obvious for us to say, wow, what a missed opportunity. That would have been the investment of a lifetime. Now, what if you could go back? 
in time. What if I could put you in a time machine today and take you back 10 years ago and I gave you $10,000, what would you want to invest in? Now, maybe you'd say, um, I think I would invest in Amazon. After all, we all use Amazon and it's everywhere these days. I'm sure that would be a good investment. And it would be because $10,000 in Amazon 10 years ago today would be worth about $80,000. So you would have multiplied your money by eight times. Not bad for just 10 years. But maybe you're like, no, 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 Nate, I wouldn't invest in Amazon. I would invest in Tesla, right? Nobody really knew about Tesla back then. $10,000 invested in Tesla 10 years ago today would be worth $253,000. So 25 times your initial investment. But I know some of you are like, no, 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 I know what I would have bought. I wouldn't have bought stocks. I would have bought that internet money that nobody knew about 10 years ago. I would have bought Bitcoin. And $10,000 invested in Bitcoin 10 years ago today would be worth $3.5 million. I would say any one of those would have been a great investment. But the problem is, of course, it's easy to go back in time and go back 10 years ago and say, oh, of course I would have bought that. But at the time, it didn't seem so obvious. Otherwise, everybody would have done it. But now, have you ever thought about this? 10 years from now, people will be looking back at 2023 and they will be like, oh, man. If only I had bought X in 2023, look how much money it would be worth today. So what is the best investment opportunity of 2023? Is it a stock? Is it a cryptocurrency? Is it investing in precious metals? Should you invest in starting your own business? Is there going to be some new startup that comes along? What is the best investment opportunity of 2023? Well, I want to tell you this that the best investment opportunity this year is even better, if you can believe it, than buying Apple in 1976. But you're not going to read about it in the New York, or you're not going to read about it in Fortune magazine. You're not going to find it in the New York Stock Exchange. You're going to find it right here in the pages of Scripture. I want you to turn your Bible. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. Now, Philippians, and I think I have a map here to show you. Philippians is a book written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. So if you look at that map there, you'll see Philippi towards the top middle of the map. Paul is now in Rome. He's in prison. He's about to go on trial in front of Caesar. Paul is languishing in a dungeon. It's near the end of his life. And he's writing a letter to the church that is at the city of Philippi in what would today be modern Greece, or at that time considered Macedonia. Paul had started this church. About 10 years ago, Paul had been traveling around modern-day Turkey, starting churches, preaching the gospel, trying to win people to the Lord, and he had a vision. And in the vision, there was a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And Paul realized that God's Holy Spirit was speaking to him and telling him he needed to go across the sea and over to Macedonia to a place that had never heard the gospel before, gospel before, and he did. And the very first city that he went to was the city of Philippi. And as you read the book of Acts, what you'll find is that Paul and Silas, who was his traveling companion, went into the city of Philippi. It was a Gentile city. It was a Roman colony. And they began to meet people and preach to them. They met Lydia, who worked down by the river. She was a seller of purple. They met a demon-possessed girl who was a fortune teller, and they ended up in jail. If you remember the story, the, 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 the people of the town didn't take kindly to Paul and Silas, and they uh, cast them into prison. But what happened in prison? 
Well, they remained joyful. They weren't discouraged. They sang songs to praise the Lord. And then an earthquake came and the jail doors came unhinged. Their chains fell off. And the jailer was so incredibly moved by all of it that he dropped down on his knees and he said, what must I do to be saved? Whatever you guys have, I need. Tell me, what do I need to do? And that man got saved and his entire family. These are the people that Paul had reached at the church at Philippi 10 years ago. But a lot has transpired in the meantime. And Paul now finds himself in Rome. And what has happened is a man from the church at Philippi named Epaphroditus has traveled from Philippi to Rome to visit Paul. And he has brought with him a a collection, an offering. The people at the church at Philippi have gathered together some money, sent it with Epaphroditus to help the apostle Paul and to encourage him as he's languishing in prison. And so Paul decides to sit down and he writes this letter to the church and he tells them many things. And he gives them encouragement. He talks about having joy in the Lord. And at the end of the book, as he's beginning to close, he writes some words to them to specifically address the fact that they had sent him money to help him. And this is what we find in Philippians chapter 4. And if you'll look at verse 10, let's begin reading there. And notice what Paul says to the church at Philippi. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Paul is thankful that they didn't have an opportunity before, but now they have once again been able to help him and support him and sent him this monetary gift. He says, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. You wanted to previously help me and you didn't have the opportunity, but now you do. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, how to be humbled, how to be brought low. And I know how to abound, how to be blessed everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I want to make three observations here from the book of Philippians, three observations that the Apostle Paul makes. And let's understand what the best investment opportunity is of 2023. The first observation I'd like to point out to you is this. Number one, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. Did you know that this morning? God is not up in heaven kind of wringing his hands and saying, hey, Gabriel, what was the uh, offering like at Open Door Baptist Church today? Because, you know, if it wasn't enough, I'm I'm not really sure what I'm going to be able to do here, right? God doesn't need our money. What does the Apostle Paul say? It's very interesting. When you look at verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Paul is excited. Paul is thankful that they've helped him financially. But then in the very next breath, in in verse 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. So Paul is essentially saying, thank you for supporting me, but also I don't really need your money. (laughs) Sounds kind of unthankful to me. When I read that, I kind of, it almost seems a little bit rude. It almost seems a little bit dismissive. If somebody gives you money, usually your first reaction is not to say, hey, thanks, just so you know, I didn't actually need it. Right? Now, growing up in high school, I had a summer job, and so I usually had money in the checking account. I had maybe money in, in the wallet. And, you know, in, in, in high school, you go on youth activities, and maybe after church, you were going with friends, we're going to go get something to eat or something like that. Every now and then, my mom would say, oh, here's $10, here's $20, because she knew I was going to go out and do an activity, and she wanted to give me some money. Now, usually, my reaction to that was not to say, 
oh, no, 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 mom, thanks, I already got money. No, I always say, thank you very much. I will take that $10, I will take that $20, right? Now, is this what the Apostle Paul is saying, though? Is he saying, hey, thanks for the money, but actually I didn't need it because I've already got a quite a sizable bank account. Is he saying, oh, I didn't need the money because I already had money? No, Paul has nothing. He is impoverished. He has no material goods. Why would he say, I don't need the money? What he's saying is not, I don't need the money because I already have money. He's saying, what I've learned in life is that my strength and my sustenance is found in Christ. And I've learned that I've had times in my life where I've been very blessed, and I've had times in my life where I have nothing. Paul had gone through, he had run the gauntlet. I mean, he had times in his life where he was very blessed, and previously, as he was a religious leader in the Jewish community, very prestigious, very famous, no doubt uh, very, very well off financially, but now that he's decided to follow the Lord and he's serving Jesus, he's traveled, he's been an itinerant preacher, he's uh, worked as a tent maker, he knows what it means to go hungry. He knows what it means to be poor. And Paul says, in all of that, I'm content. I'm okay because my source of strength is in the Lord. And so I don't need money in order to serve God. I don't need money in order to have joy because I've learned to find my strength in Christ. Notice what he says now in verse 13. One of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, also one of the most misunderstood and misquoted verses. Paul says this, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, Paul is not talking about scoring a touchdown or hitting a three-pointer because God's on my team. It wasn't like, oh, I can just do whatever I feel like doing because team Jesus. No, he's saying, I've gone through it all, good times and bad times, and I can do all of it because Christ is my source of strength. I don't put my trust in money. And folks, when you put your trust in Wall Street, when you put your trust in the White House, when you put your trust in the economic systems of the day, they will fail you. They are flimsy. They are fragile. They ultimately will collapse. But when you put your, your confidence in the Lord, he will always be that sure foundation. You can always rely on Christ to be your source of strength. So I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, well, Nate, that sounds great. So God doesn't need my money. Paul didn't need their money. God's just going to take care of it so I can just keep it all for myself, right? Okay, well, hold on, because we're not done yet. Paul has more to say. I think of it this way. I, I mentioned my kids. They're, they're getting a little bit older. What's nice about the kids getting older is as they get older, they're able to do more for themselves. They have a little bit more responsibility. When kids are young, you got to do everything for them. As they get older, they start to take on that responsibility. And pretty soon, my oldest son, I mean, he's going to be able to mow the lawn, and that'll be a great day. I mean, more, more power to him, more responsibility. But when they're younger, not so much. I remember not long ago, um, my wife had taken our two youngest, and I, I forget where she had gone, uh, but, but I had Jaden, our oldest, at home. And, uh, and I knew she was coming back maybe about an hour or two later. And so we're sitting there in the living room, and as I survey our living room, like it usually tends to be, it was a mess. What happens when you have three small kids is it doesn't matter how many times you clean, within about an hour or two, it'll go right back to its former state. It's just like this perpetual state of like a bomb hit our house and it just kind of looks like things are strewn everywhere. And so I'm looking around the house and what I realize is when my wife comes home, it would be nice if the house is clean. And it would be nice if the house is clean because ladies, you notice things. Women are observant. Guys are clueless. If I were to come home and my wife had painted the living room a different color, I think there's only about a 50% chance that I would notice. But 
when my wife comes home, she notices that my shoes are not in the same place that they were. And so she knows that I must've gone outside or got like, so women notice things, okay? So I knew when she comes home, it would be good. It would be nice if the house was clean and that she would appreciate that. So what I said to my son, Jaden, who was probably four or five at the time, I said, hey, Jaden, can you help me to clean up the living room? Can you help me to put the toys away? Because when mommy comes home, she'll be so glad and she'll be so excited that the house is clean. So he said, yeah, sure. so he gets, he starts putting his toys away in his box. Now, folks, did I ask my son to help me clean the house because I did not feel capable or up to the task myself? No, I can put toys in a box. It's not a big responsibility for me, not a big job for me. Why did I want my son to participate? Why did I tell him, hey, I want you to help me? Because when mom came home and she saw that the house was clean, she said, thank you, Jaden, for cleaning the house. And he gets this big grin on his face like, yep, see that, mommy? See, I'm a really good helper. I put all the toys away myself. I wanted him to help because I wanted him to be part of something. I wanted him to have the blessing and the, and the, 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 the satisfaction of being part of of doing something good and, and helping his mom and getting that commendation. Listen, folks, God doesn't need our money, doesn't need our resources, doesn't need our talents, doesn't need our time. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is all-powerful. He is all-omniscient. He doesn't need us, but what he does is he invites us. He asks us. He invites us to participate in what he's doing, and when we are involved, when we're a part of it, we get to share in that blessing. So number one, the first observation that I would make is this, God doesn't need your money. But now number two, secondly, I would say this, God offers you an opportunity to invest in his kingdom. God offers you an opportunity to invest in his kingdom. This is what Paul is getting at. Notice now what he says in verse 14. It says, notwithstanding, ye have well done. So Paul is saying, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not ungrateful. I know I said that I don't need the money. I know I said that my source of strength is in Christ. And, but I want to let you know that what you did was a good thing. I'm not trying to downplay your generosity. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction, that you helped me in my time of need. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, when I left you all, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Hey, Philippians, you already know this. You were the only church that supported me financially. Now think about all the people that Paul had reached, all the places he had traveled to, all the churches he had started. None of them actually helped him financially except for the church at Philippi. And Paul says, I know this and you know this. He says at verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So this is at least the third time that the church at Philippi has sent money to the apostle Paul to help him on his journey. And Paul says, listen, I'm thankful for that. I'm not trying to downplay that. That is a good thing. That's been a helpful thing. It's, it's allowed me to continue my ministry and continue to travel and take care of my needs. But then don't miss this. In verse 17, he says this, not because I desire a gift. Folks, this is not about me. Philippian church, it's not because I want something from you, but I desire fruit that may abound 
to your account. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul says, I want your financial support. I do. I'm thankful for it. But not for me. It's because I want you to get the credit. I want you to invest in what God is doing in this world. Here, folks, here's the amazing thing, and I don't want you to miss this. The Bible teaches us that when we are generous, that when we give, when we support gospel work, we are making an investment in eternity. We are investing in eternal riches. Last night, I was going to say previous this week, but it was even, it was, it was even earlier than that. Last night, uh, on our way back to the hotel, we decided to pull through the drive-thru at none other than Chick-fil-A, my favorite fast food restaurant. And what happens is when I go to Chick-fil-A, I, I do two things. When you get up to, you know, we went through the drive-thru, so when you, you get up there to where uh, the girl's taking the order, I give her the order, but before I pull out the card to pay, I do something else, and probably many of you do as well. I put, pulled out my phone, and I pulled up the Chick-fil-A app, to scan it. Why? Because when you scan the app, you get rewards, right? See, when I go to Chick-fil-A and I order food, there are actually two transactions that take place. I pull out my card and I pay for my food now and they give me my food when I go through the drive-thru, but I also pull out my phone and I scan my app so that I earn rewards so that I can use it in the future for more Chick-fil-A. What a great system. And folks, when you give, when you are generous, there are two transactions going on. There is an immediate physical transaction. See, the Philippians had given and Paul was able to buy shelter or books or clothing or, right? He was able to take care of his immediate physical needs. But there was another transaction that had taken place. And Paul says, I want you to understand this, that when you gave to me, that was fruit to your account, that you made an investment in eternity and there is an eternal reward for you one day in heaven that you'll be able to enjoy. It's almost like if I went to Chick-fil-A and every time I scanned my app, I got $10,000. If that was true, I would go to Chick-fil-A all the time. If the reward is that much greater than the actual transaction, I would do it all the time. And what the Bible is teaching us is, folks, when you give, when you help with a need here and now, there is an eternal transaction. There's a heavenly transaction, an eternal reward that's even greater than anything you could ever have here in this world, here in this life. And the thing is that we, we, we read the Bible and we hear that, but we don't believe it deep down because we don't really think about what eternity holds and how much greater. Have you ever seen that illustration where you, you see a, a rope and somebody has a rope that stretches really far and there's just a small part of the rope that's colored in and, and it's, that's your life. You know, our life, what do we have? We have 70, 80, 90 years, maybe 100 if we're lucky. And then eternity, and then forever. And so much of us, all of our decisions, all of our focus is just right here. What happens in the here and now, this money. And there is something that goes forever and ever and ever. And every time that we are generous, every time that we are used by God to be an instrument of generosity in somebody else's life, we make an investment in eternity in something that is so far greater than anything we could have in this world. And this is what Paul says. I don't want a gift. I'm not saying this for me. I'm saying this because I want you to invest in God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. You know what Jesus would tell you? Don't make your life about earthly riches. That stuff's fragile. It goes away. Clothes go out of style. Cars break down. Houses need repaired. All of that stuff is 
People get, it, can, it can get stolen. It can burn down. All of these things can happen. But anytime you invest in eternity, eternal riches will never, ever be taken away. They're permanent. That's why he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, my dad used to always say, show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. You know, my, my dad's a pastor. I grew up listening to him every Sunday. He, he said that so many times. Show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. Um, for those in the room that are, you know, in their 20s or younger, a checkbook is, um, it's, ask your grandparents. They'll show you. They probably got it in their, in their purse. Um, you know, right, show me your bank account. Show me your credit cards. Show me how you use your money and I will show you what's important to you. Generosity is an investment in eternity. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 17, he writes to Timothy, his protege, a young pastor. He says, charge them, challenge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Man, if you're rich, and by the way, we're all rich. I know you don't think you're rich, but by world standards, by historical standards, all of us are incredibly rich. Paul says, challenge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Don't be proud, nor trust in uncertain riches. Man, don't trust your 401k. Don't trust your bank account. Don't trust your job or your salary. Don't trust in money, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And what should we do with our financial resources? That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, ready to distribute, ready to share, ready to give, ready to help. And then don't miss this. Verse 19 says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. I love what Randy Alcorn says. He puts it this way. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. All of your money, every account, everything with a dollar amount attached to it, when you pass, it's going to somebody else. It's not going with you. But every investment in eternity, every act of generosity is something that you send on ahead. So what observations will we make from Paul? Number one, God doesn't need your money. Number two, God offers you an opportunity to invest in his kingdom. And number three, and finally, God wants you to share in the blessing. God wants you to share in the blessing. Look at verse 18 of Philippians 4. Paul says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus. Remember, that's the man who came to visit him from Philippi. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. That money that you sent me, Church of Philippi, it's like incense at the temple. It's like an offering offered on the altar. In God's eyes, it was received as worship. And then he says this in verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And in the same way that God has used you to help take care of me, God will meet your needs. Trust him for it. When we're willing to be used by God to bless somebody else, he uses someone else to be a blessing to us. Isn't that a cool thing? Have you been used by God to be a blessing to other, other people? It's a wonderful thing, right? Has God used other people to be a blessing to you? That's a wonderful thing. That's why Jesus said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. God is not just looking for people to be buckets and to let the showers of God's blessing collect in this receptacle. God's looking for funnels. God's looking for people that will channel and direct his blessings to others. So it comes back to our original question. What's the best investment opportunity of 2023? What is it? 
I mean, if I told you, hey, there's an investment that earns 30% a year guaranteed, it's not a Ponzi scheme, it's not a scam, it is legit, do you want to invest? I would dare to say just about everybody in this room, if that was a real investment, would find money to invest because that was a great, great opportunity. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says there is an investment opportunity for all of us to invest in God's kingdom, to be generous. And it's not just financially. Yes, we give of our financial resources, we give of our time, we give of our talents, we give of ourselves, because that's what Jesus did. And when we do that, when we give to others, we make an investment in eternity that is far better than any earthly investment could ever be. I want to leave you with this story. Last night, we went to the main event. We went to the arcade. That place was hopping. A lot, a lot of people, a lot of kids running around. So our kids had, had fun. We just did the arcade. And the arcades are different now. Have you noticed that? It's not tokens, and you don't get the tickets that roll out. It's all on the card, which, you know, it took me a little while to get used to, because that's not what it was like growing up. Last year, we went on vacation to Gatlinburg, you know, which is, you know, Vegas for Baptists. If you've been to Gatlinburg, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and there's a lot of places like that, a lot of arcades and bumper cars and go-karts, that sort of thing. So, so you know, with young kids, that was one of the things we did. We, we did a lot of ar- arcade uh, games. Well, the one time we went to the arcade, we were done with all the games. We were waiting in line to, you know, redeem the tickets. You know how you do. You, you get the cheap toys. Kids are going to lose them between the seats in five minutes, but you're going to do it anyway because they'll, they'll be upset if you don't. And so we're standing there in line. We're waiting to redeem our tickets. There's a family about ready to leave. And I noticed as they were going to the door, they're kind of rounding everybody up. They stopped, and the lady turned around. She saw us with the little kids waiting. She came over to us, and she handed us their card. And she said, hey, we got to go, but here, just add this to whatever you have for the tickets. I was like, oh, yeah, thank you so much. Very kind of you. Said goodbye, and there she went. Never met her before. Probably will never see her ever again. But I got to thinking about that a little bit later. Why did she do that? What, what, what compelled her to want to do that? Well, she realized something, right? She realized that this card has tickets on it. And these tickets have value because at this one arcade, you can go up there and you can redeem it for prizes. But once I leave, because I have to leave and the family got to go and they're probably busy and they're off to something else. Once I leave, it's not going to do me any good. Can't use it at Walmart. Can't put gas in my car. Once I leave this building, this establishment in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, this card is worthless to me. So why don't I just give it to this nice family over here so that even after I've left, they will still be able to benefit from it? Folks, this is what Jesus calls us to do. He has given all of us something of value, but it is only good for a certain time and in a certain place. And as soon as we hit that exit door, as we all will one day, it will do us no good. But if we'll choose to be generous, if we'll choose to share and to help others, even long after we're gone, other people will be benefited. Other good things will be going on because we invested in eternity. What is the best investment opportunity of 2023? It is the one that lasts forever. Let's pray as we close our service this morning. Lord, help us in this area. Help us to get our eyes off of the here and now. Help us to see the eternal impact. Lord, help us to be generous people. Yes, with our finances. Yes, with our time. Yes, with our abilities. Lord, help us to be giving people. Help us to know what it meant, what it means to to follow in your footsteps, that you so love the world that you gave, and that we would follow that example, Lord, that we would say, like Jesus, I want to give of myself to help others, and that we would understand that we're not going to take it with us. 
we can send it on ahead. Lord, would you challenge us in this area? Help us to think about how we're using our financial resources and where we're making the most impact, Lord, that we would align the use of our money with what truly is most important in this life. Lord, I pray that you would bless Open Door Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use them as a lighthouse of the gospel in this community. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name.